Hey there, welcome to XR Industry Leaders with ArborXR. My name is Brad Scoggin, and I am the CEO and one of three co-founders of ArborXR. We've had the opportunity of working with thousands of companies since 2016, and we've learned a ton about what it takes for XR to be successful in your organization. And I'm Will Stackable, co-founder and CMO. This podcast is all about interviewing the leaders who are on the ground making XR happen today. True pioneers in the space, from Amazon, Walmart, and UPS, to Coke, Pfizer, and beyond to uncover the pitfalls, lessons learned, and secrets that you can use to help grow XR in your organization. Well, today we get to sit down with Devin Marble. Devin is the head of marketing for VR Patients. Uh, we're excited to have you all on the show today, Devin. Thank you. I'm excited. Uh, well, as you know, we always love to get a little bit of backstory on our guests. So uh, we know that you have had a fairly extensive career in entertainment, production, even maybe some TV hosting. So I'd love to hear maybe some of your favorite projects and how you made the jump from doing that into immersive technology. Oh, thank you. Um, and thank you guys for having me here. I'm really honored to be on this podcast. I'm a fan. I listen. So I'm geeking out a little bit. Amazing. Um, I started out in, gosh, I spent 10 years in Hollywood. And just to answer your question really quick, I think my favorite show to work on was I was the story producer for all the even episodes of Project Runway. Um, cool. Season eight. Nice. With uh, Tim Gunn and Heidi Klum. That was a good one. You know, my past, I I started out, I wanted to be a veterinarian when I was a kid. <laughs> but I was told that I just didn't get good enough grades. And so I couldn't <laughs> do it. And I just didn't chase that down. Didn't apply myself right. to it. Then I ended up uh, getting into drama class. I asked my buddies, like, what should I do? I can't be a vet. And they're like, come into drama. And I'm so shy by nature. That drama was really hard for me. Anyways, I took to it. I loved it and decided that's what I'm going to be when I grow up. I'm going to do something in entertainment. That pushed me out there for 10 years, and I, I learned that I wasn't helping anybody but myself. And I also learned that I chose a way harder career than becoming a vet or any kind of medical person, right? Because, look, it's hard to become a doctor or a vet for sure. But once you get your degree, you get to be that thing. And it doesn't matter how many degrees you have, you don't get to be famous. You don't get, you also have to get struck by lightning. And so when I had that aha moment, I got reconnected with my high school sweetheart. We got married. I moved us back to our hometown to get our feet under us. And I headed headfirst into medical. And that's when I became a paramedic. I became a clinical genetic researcher with the University of Arizona. I was teaching at the community college. I built their VR studio for them. I was pre-med. It was, a four, it was a five-year journey to be pre-med. And in 2020, I canceled my med school application to lean into digital because of this thing called VR that was happening that I was, I was good at. And all of the media, content creation, and technicality of, of using video, I had learned. I was practiced at it. The medical stuff was tough. So I was able to kind of combine these two worlds. And then when the pandemic hit, it was like a rocket ship. And I'm very fortunate to be working on the team at VR Patients kind of building something for public health and building something for the future of healthcare that includes immersive solutions at scale. That's kind of how I got there. I hope that was a straight line. Yeah, that's a great story. I love that. I love the, uh, it, it, you know, we were talking in the pre-interview. If you would have told me you were shy ever, I don't think anyone would have guessed that. Uh, but I love how you kind of brought it all together. And obviously for all of us, I mean, COVID was such an accelerant for XR yeah. and VR. Uh, but so tell us, you know, you so you started out at, uh, Pima College as a mm -hmm. customer of VR patients, and That's then you correct. made the, the transition to work with VR patients. Maybe tell us about that journey a little bit. 
You know, VR patients is the type of team that wants to work with people who want to get it done. And what ended up happening was I was providing solutions to them because I loved the product and I was able to implement it at the college. And I just started working with them as often as I could. And they slowly started to let me join the team. So I had been working with VR patients for over like a year and a half um, before I joined the team as a full-time employee. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and now I'm going to move out to headquarters, even though we're digital and remote, there's something about being able to shake hands with your team and get to the chalkboard and, or whiteboard and really get stuff done. And, um, you know, we're moving quick. So I'm very excited to, to push that forward with them. So I want to, before we go any further, I want to hear, explain to us what is VR patients. Brad and I actually got a chance to download a module you got to set <laughs> mm -hmm. up in the in the clinic as a as a you know uh, <laughs> I don't know what you call it I guess to do, to do the training ourselves but to give us a little bit I want to share my feedback some of my sure. takeaways from the experience maybe if that's okay but I want to hear how would you describe VR patients VR patients is an immersive clinical competency training platform so we help either the professional or the initial paramedic nurse EMT um, it can go up to critical care and even help train residents physicians on the decision-making process. So we don't dabble in pick up this three-dimensional model that looks like an IV and try to get it up to the skin and put it in with Oculus controllers or zero haptics and, you know, hand tracking. We don't mess with that. So when you choose to do a skills intervention like IV, it appears on the avatar and it is 100% up to you to figure out why did you put that IV there? What kind of IV was it? What are you putting in it? How much? When? What's wrong with the patient? Have you done a dialogue with them? Are you being a competent, are you making competent decisions as a clinician? And that is what we test on in an objective uh, grading rubric, which means there's no subjectivity to it. So Will, for example, if you're in the system and you're clicking away and you're looking at the the patient after you're trying your treatments and you make a mistake and I'm your proctor and I'm like, you know what? You did a pretty good job. I know you meant to do this, this when you did that and the patient's okay. So we're going to give you the points and move you forward. That doesn't happen in VR patients. And that's intentional because we want our clinicians, our instructors, our educators to be able to deploy at scale and let their students asynchronously practice in a safe, comfortable environment and iterate and trust that the simulation is gonna keep them true. They have to click through it. They have to get through it and make the decisions. And then they get the feedback. So when they come in for actual skills time debriefing, I mean, you can do VR patients live on campus, absolutely, and have a whole classroom. But if you do deploy at scale and the students come in, think about the questions that those students are gonna ask. Today in clinical simulation, you go to class every day, and when there's a sim day, you prep for it, and then you run sims. But what if those students had been practicing in a non-destructive environment all semester, all year? They've done 300 patients. What kind of questions is that student going to ask when they arrive at sim day with the proctor? I'm hoping they're going to be way more thoughtful, way less about the actual sim and more about the disease. Beautiful. I love it. I have to, sh I have to share my experience as a total Please. ignorant, non-medical. My wife is a nurse. That's the closest I get. I, when she starts telling me stories about 
work, I, you know, if it involves blood, I, I just have to leave. I can't even hear it. So that's my, that's my background. Uh, but so for me, I get into the headset, we go into an experience and there's basically a patient sitting in a bed or laying in a bed in front of me who looks like she's in pretty bad shape, um, pretty beat up. And, uh, you said you, you prepared it specially as there's a bit yes. of a shock factor. I think <laughs> she was missing, an, she was missing, uh, an arm or a hand. Um, I didn't know you were squeamish with blood. Oh <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it was great. So, so, but the, it was interesting because on, on the right, you have basically a panel of options and it's pretty overwhelming as a, you know, non-medical student, you have no idea. So you, you have an assessment panel, you have a, a dialogue panel where you can have conversations. Um, there's all different types of instruments. I realized at one point that I had a monitor that could show everything from an EKG, I think, yeah. to a heart rate mm-hmm. monitor, blood pressure, um, blood oxygen. Yep. And you go through basically a diagnostic. I mean, you're having to make decisions about, should I run labs here? Should I mm-hmm. um, put a, a cuff on to check blood pressure? Should we do an IV? If so, what's the size of IV? And what's the type of, should I put in a saline solution? Or, mm-hmm. And I think one of my takeaways was, man, it just gave me appreciation for the complexity of the job of any doctor or nurse because you you have so many, you have a patient who seems like they're in trouble, they're breathing heavily, complaining of chest pain. And as, as a doctor, you have so many potential tools and, and, and roads you could go down. Um, and so I thought it was such a interesting from just as a layperson, um, it was fascinating and a bit overwhelming and I don't, I don't think I killed her, but I was, I was trying all the different things. You know, I think I stuck an IV in at one point and, and then I, no, I did, I did a one of, it was a nose cannula with the oxygen and she said, as soon as I put it on, she said, the oxygen, the pressure makes me me feel like my eyes are going to blow out. And so I turned down the, turned down the oxygen pressure and nice. So anyways, it was great. It was a great experience. Um, I'd love for, yeah. So this is the first I've heard too that that you guys are really focusing on on this specific use case, which is um, helping uh, med students train ahead of. So when you describe a little bit the use case where, as a student, are you typically what's the typical preparation you'd have before you go in and get hands-on experience? Are you usually reading in a textbook and oh, that's man. the alternative? Yes, uh, yes, it is. You would be surprised at um, how little patient contact you get at the beginning mm-hmm. of your education, like the first half of your education, especially for doctors. Oh my goodness. But that's why physicians have, you know, two or three years of residency. But that's really trial by fire. You come out of years of theory and memorizing and just thousands of pages. I mean, into real people. It is nerve wracking. Nurses, I mean, if you're gonna get a bachelor's of science in nursing, it's a four year program. Simulation is not really a part of that first year. It could be a part of the second year, but it's really, really entry-level stuff. They don't really engage with the patient care side of things until they start to get there at the book. And part of that reason is to not overwhelm the students, right? You have plenty to learn. So we'll get to patients when we get to patients. And there is a roadmap Mm -hmm. that they currently have in nursing curriculums. What's so exciting about immersive solutions is that it really allows you to sprinkle in clinical education and it's just non-destructive like there's Uh, no you can assign a grade to it but you don't have to and you can let the students fail you can for the first time ever be in you know year one cardiology (laughs) chapter learning about conduction and like plus and minus and uh, oh so it's an electrical conjunction it goes from here to there wow, that's why the heart squeezes. And then that night, put on your VR headset and go, so this is a heart attack patient? 
I have no idea what to do here. And it talks to you and you go, holy cow, this is what I'm in for. This is what I'm going to do. I'm excited. (laughs) And uh, that is, I think that is just super exciting. There is an educational gap there, which is for the educator. It's part of the challenges of VR patients and any number of us out there creating these immersive solutions. We really have to educate the customer on how to sprinkle this throughout your curriculum because mm-hmm. it's so new. I mean, you can't sprinkle Laridol uh, mannequins yeah. throughout a student's <laughs> curriculum because it requires two instructors to set it up and get everything ready. You got to fill it with fluid. It's got like an iPad connected to it. You have to be there. It costs $100,000 so the student doesn't get to play well, with it by themselves. You know, and so to be able to have an immersive solution that's a tenth that cost and infinitely scalable uh, is real power for the educator. And I love what you said just now. It like warmed my heart that you said as a layperson, you had an appreciation for the medical provider. I never even thought about that. And I think that is an incredible, I don't know, use case. Yeah, I, I thought it was, yeah, it was a very cool, I mean, you're in the waiting room and then you're in the the whatever, the operating room. It the felt very room. real. Yeah, yeah. yeah, the patient's room. And and there already have, there's so many, I was doing it, several of my family, family members are, um, in the medical field. So I was doing it around them. We're visiting some family and, you know, they, they overhear me saying it and they're like, how do you know that it, you know, it was a fun experience, but I'm curious. I think one thing we've seen over the years that we've, as we've worked in different, with different groups doing VR education, um, what you just said is a challenge, right? It's yeah. like, there's no question. We can talk about this more a little bit. I don't think there's any question before I tried VR patients, but even and, you know, I'm not being a medical person. Okay, the, the benefit, it seems to be very, very clear, but it does, the challenge of how do you fit this in? How do you guys address that with the different group? I'm sure they look at that, this is amazing. Yeah. Now, how do we make it work in a way? Yeah, like, what's your process there? So our process is, I like to think of VR patients as built by nurses and EMS for nurses and EMS because we have a ton of SME, subject matter experts on our team. Mm-hmm. So we've got nurses building, constructing these template cases because Mm -hmm. the system comes with a library of patients ready to go that are based on all the standards and accrediting guidelines and vetted by an actual nurse or by an actual paramedic. Mm -hmm. And so we really are shoulder to shoulder with the front line as we create this solution to make sure that it's useful for them. But how do we bridge that gap of education? Really what we have to do is is hold their hand Mm -hmm. and show them. For example, we create custom curriculums for the onboarding customer at the point of demo. Mm -hmm. So we're demoing with a customer, we're showing them the solution, then we go, and here, we downloaded your nursing curriculum, and we're gonna show you, look at, this is how you could use VR patients in nursing 3345, you know, whatever the the class code is. And, And for nursing 110, this is how you could do it. And we take their course descriptions and provide them back this handheld, like, it's going to be okay. We're going to help you win and succeed before you even come a, become a customer. So you can have an understanding of how this industry can so positively impact you. It's just a much better hammer to build a much bigger house. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? The the hand-holding, I got to sit on that for a second because I think- sure. Goodness, we we were just on earlier with one of our partners doing some sales enablement, and that it, it's a bigger organization. And I heard our sales team talking to them just about needing hand holding. Right, and it feels like 
with where XR is at, with where VR is at, those of us who are in this early stage, we have to, even on our team sometimes, right? Like we're ready to scale. Let's think about how we, but you know what? In so many ways, we're still in the handholding phase. Yeah. And for this thing to really take off. And I think what's frustrating is like, again, you get in this content, anybody who gets in your content, this is amazing, right? You put on a VR headset, this is amazing. And there's, but there's still this gap between, mm -hmm. I mean, you talked about the gap in curriculum versus, you know, implementing a new, a new tool, but there's this gap in usability almost. And I think for anybody listening to this, who's thinking about how to scale XR in their organization. And again, we all love to say scale, scale. So it feels like once yeah. we can say scale, we've, we've, we've done something. But the reality is the way we scale is by doing the hard things early, the, doing the, you know, sleeping on couches, hand holding. Right. So I think that's that's really that's that's just the key. It's it's great to hear you say that, and it's even a good reminder for us. I think, well, you know, just for all yeah. of us in the space, like the the hand holding early on is what creates the foundation for this thing to grow, and for people to really get to experience the um, the impact of it. Well, and part of VR patients is com community built, so there's a vested interest in us hand holding with the customer because we don't just want them to onboard and then see you later. Mm -hmm. We want them to have pride in what they're creating and creating their own patient library. And so that means we want you to be good at our platform, yeah. not just have access to it. And that requires us to be there for you. And we are. You talked about community driven. I think that's really important. Uh, could you just share a little bit about the scale and scope uh, of your oh, current sure. um, customer user base? Just so sure. we can all understand yeah. what are we talking about? What, uh, yeah. So VR patients is used by thousands of clients. Um, those clients are organizations, individuals, uh, in, you know, um, clinical educators, simulation specialists, um, professional paramedics. Um, some of them are even resident physicians. And really, there's, there's quite a few of them. But without VR patients' assistance, other than helping them fix a few things, they are building their own patients. And that community-built patient library is approaching 2,000 right now. Just think about that for a second. If we have 350, for example, um, registered educators, instructors, simulation technologists, and between them, they're building thousands of mm -hmm. patients, and they're all accredited based on their local standards and guidelines. They're the subject matter expert. They're professionals. Brad, your wife... Well, your wife, both of you guys' wives are in medical. They, I'm not going to presume to know more than them on the patients that they treat. Mm -hmm. And if they're going to teach someone else on their wisdom, on their experience, yeah. well, they should be able to use a tool that can bend to the way that they want to teach, to their curriculum. And that's really exciting to me, that that kind of scale. Um, and they all own their library. It's all theirs. And that's something, you know, I didn't get to get into, I, I didn't see the, the back end of being able to build out these experiences, yeah. but as I was going through it, I was imagining all well, the flexibility here to really design all uh, different challenges in a variety of scenarios. If you look at the website, um, you have all these different, you can put them in a, a clinic setting, but you can also put mm -hmm. them in their house or in, or for a paramedic, you show up and they're on a city street. I think that flexibility is really unique. Um, you talked about you have thousands of devices, thousands of, uh, of these experiences that have been created. Zoom in to like just one moment or is, are there any, have there been any aha moments where you've worked with an educator 
and they've kind of lit up and you've seen, oh, they're, they're getting the power of this thing. Yes. We have a couple of stories. Um, all right, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you one story. So we're out at a conference, and I think this was about a year ago, and one of our customers came to the conference, and they had been a customer for, I think, almost two years, and they came to our booth raving about the product, and we're asking them, tell us what it's like. What do you like? You know, what don't you like? Let's really pick, you know, let's poke at this a little bit. And everything this gentleman was describing was WebGL. You know, he likes how the mouse turns into a stethoscope and how real the lung sounds sound and how he can do the pupils with his mouse. And we're like, that, do you use it in virtual reality? And he said, no, that's new technology. I don't know. And it's <laughs> that same hurdle, that hardware divide that we are all dealing with in this industry, which I'm really excited for Apple, right? Because they're helping break that down now with their new device. But anyways, so he's there at the booth and we're like, well, we have a VR headset right here. Would you like to try it? <laughs> and so he tries it out. His mind exploded right there. He leaves our booth, goes back to his hotel. He orders a meta headset, has it overnighted to his hotel, brings it to our booth the next day. Amazing. And we help him set it up. And he, of course, went back to his institution and now they're on VR. And the aha moment for him we have a photo of him on his hands and knees at our booth. <laughs> and he's underneath the patient who's sitting on the cot. And he's looking under the feet to try to assess the skin of the blue toes from like deoxygenation wow. and stuff because he couldn't see that angle on the WebGL. And he was just so fascinated that, wait a minute, so I can, I can walk around this patient? I can look at any angle? There's something there? We're like, yes, there's something there. We call our platform WYSIWYG, which is what you see is what you get. And some of the features we had to go extreme with. So, for example, if your patient appears to have some yellow skin, that's jaundice. That has a, that's a liver problem. That is something you need to note. It's not just the game. That's a, <laughs> that's a poor artwork in the game, right? <laughs> what you see is what you get. I love that. Uh, <clears throat> tell us about, so we, a lot of times we talk about, you know, proof of concept and moving towards scale. So that was a great story. Um, are you, are you, you're typically selling to an institution or to individuals and like, what is that process like selling into, and maybe even, um, I guess there's probably some evangelism to leadership within that org and what role do you all play in that? And how does that kind of play out? Yeah. So we do sell at the enterprise level. And for individuals, it's free. Uh, they just go on to, it, like, for example, if they have a MetaQuest headset, they can just go to the Meta store, type in VR patients and download it, and they can play with three patients. So today, uh, we are enterprise level, which means it's a university, a community college, a ambulance company, a firehouse, a hospital. Um, but because we can scale, it's also a state. Like, we recently onboarded the entire state of Maine, uh, which the oh. product is going to be used to train all of their EMS, right? And that is, that's really exciting. And so, um, but these are enterprise level, right? Customers. In the future, we're really looking forward to, ooh, I think I might, I think I might drop something here on the pod. I think I might give you a hot take. Do it. Um, <laughs> a, uh, we're really excited about this idea of uh, a marketplace that's community built. So I want you to imagine Love just it. this use case for a moment. COVID hits. Seattle, really hard. The disease, disease is coming. 
And all those physicians and educators and nurse educators out there are like, holy cow, this is novel. This is a problem. And one of them builds that patient and then deploys it to everybody else. And the rest of the country gets to practice on a new disease coming. How do I treat this? What do I treat this with? Why? What's this happening? And that is what we're excited about. And that's just like a use case. But the idea is that the subject matter expert in Arkansas can be building something, offer it into the marketplace. We then provide them a token so they can download a different one. And someone else goes, I want that Arkansas case. It's really good. I like it. I'm going to download that. And so we're really excited about that future. Well, no, that's, I mean, to me, even, you know, the, the COVID example is very powerful, but just the basic, you said you got 2000 different, you mean, there's endless scenarios, right? And so the fact that those scenarios would be built by experts in the community that, that others could pull from yeah. and have, you know, again, having been in there, I can tell, I mean, it, it can become pretty com complex if need be, right? So being able to, you can imagine that a teacher saying, hey, okay, this week we're going to work on this case. I'm going to build this in advance. You work on it. I mean, that's, Correct. it's really, and there is something about, one, one thing we talk about, and I haven't talked about it in a while, but we see it across the board, right? So we have, we have a lot of education customers. We have a lot of enterprise customers. And, you know, we look at it as just learning, but the, the learning revolution is what I call it, that VR yeah. is enabling. I mean, it's that people are learning faster. People are retaining more information. You need less, you know, we talked, we worked with, or we, we interviewed UPS. The, you don't need a truck or a trainer in that scenario, I listened to right? that episode, yeah. yeah. So maybe in this scenario, you don't need, you don't need a, a cadaver or whatever, or a trainer to practice. And you can practice a hundred times or a thousand times. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe talk a little bit about, <clears throat> I mean, the, the state of Maine is really cool. And thinking about what's fun too in all these cases, it's like you're just getting started, right? That's one state. Yeah. That's, that, that's the, the EMS in that state. You've got, I'm sure you're getting traction with different universities. Yes. And how much potential that is to grow. But when you think about deploying to a state or to an entire university or, or a university system, like what are some of the challenges, unique challenges maybe for you guys at, when you do try to go to scale? With the idea that you're, you're hand-holding that. You, you, you described right. this early Yeah, the balance. In, yeah. How do you do the hand-holding but also the scale side of things? So one of... One of the challenges that it's it's hardware really is the biggest challenge. People just can't get over this idea that it's a completely new device and it doesn't really fall into the category of a computer or an iPad. And yeah. it's this totally new device. And it's like, so does it sit plugged in and how do I clean it? And how many do I need? And which one do I get? And so what we have decided to do is we're going to, we pick one that we have validated and we've selected the MetaQuest 2 headset because of its affordability, its scalability, um, its its use case. It has its own challenges, and many of those challenges, ArborXR <laughs> helps us overcome, which we really appreciate. Um, Facebook is the challenge. <laughs> and so uh, what we do is we're offering a... Here's another hot take. <laughs> yeah, I love it. We're offering a new solution uh, that's coming in the future, this idea that it's this one-stop shop that you can... You can uh, order from VR patients, and if you want us to just, if you want to make an order, and three to four weeks later, a box is going to arrive at your door with all the headsets, they work, they're connected to your Wi-Fi automatically, everything's loaded onto it, your logins are in, you just basically turn it on. Uh, we will do that for you. And uh, so that is a new offering coming uh, in I the love future that. as well. And this, this is this idea of hand-holding, right? In order for us to get there with the customer, we're going to take a little step ahead of them, 
create something and then hand it back and say, we know this is a challenge. That's why we've created this for you. Because we don't make, like we're not upselling on the Meta headset. It's just the MSRP. You're going to buy it anyways. So if you want our recommendation, we're happy to provide it. And if you want us to just pull the trigger for you on that recommendation, because you're going to make that purchase anyways, we're happy to do that for you. Well, you're so confident in the value. I think all of us who have been in XR long enough are like, we, it's, it, you just have to try it. Like once you try it, it's, it's going to expand in your whole org. And that's so why all, many of us are willing to take that extra handholding step in the beginning because we know the value. I mean, it's just, it's super clear. Yep, absolutely. I want to, as we wrap, I want to ask you a question about your kind of your personal why. I know VR Patient's tagline is, I think, something like real life training without real life consequences, yeah. which reminds me of Dr. Balenson. Which, wait, Stanford. that should just be VR's tagline. <laughs> it's amazing. I was yeah. gonna, that's, that's, about, that's what I was about to say. Is, yeah, I mean, yeah, Dr. Balenson from Stanford says that VR is great for anything that's difficult, dangerous, or expensive to simulate in real life. I, I almost like your tagline better than that real life training without real life consequences. But, and you can, you can start there, but I'd like to hear what's your personal why for getting into VR? You, you strike me as a true believer and uh, I'm always curious, like what, what drives you when you, when you wake up, what gets you excited to, to go to work? Man, that is a, that's a deep question. <laughs> you know, it has, it stems from my why for getting into medicine. I learned early that I didn't want to run into a burning building because it's on fire. <laughs> That's not me. But I fell in love with the medicine. You know, I started out as an EMT on an ambulance. We delivered our first patient to the emergency department. And he was sick. And I asked my partner, what, what's going to happen to that guy? He's like, I don't know. That's not our job. And I was like, wait, wait a minute. But is he going to be okay? He goes, that I don't know. He said, yeah. but... I do know that the paramedics in that emergency department uh, know more than the paramedics on our box, which is a little bit of an exaggeration. I don't want to knock on ambulance medics. They're amazing. My brother-in-law's an ambulance medic. But that really made me want to get into that emergency department because I wanted to help heal that person. And when I got connected with VR, man, it was an aha moment for me. I was standing in front of someone that looked real in an environment that felt real, it sounded real, and there were clues, right? I was able to look around and go, hey, your clothes are disheveled and dirty. You don't have any shoes, and you're next to a trash can. Are you sick? Are you feeling okay? And how, how valuable is that for the nurse who typically doesn't get to see that? You know, in nursing education, we call that social determinants of health, all the things in your social life that determine mm -hmm. your health, your financial status. Um, who the people you hang out with, what you eat, where you live, um, like all the things, the demographics of your area, they uh, impact your health. So how does a nurse include those in their health care and their training at the bedside? Well, they have to take a history. They have to ask questions. But can they visualize those those answers and those responses? So I think my why is this idea of I do miss patient care and treating people. But I feel like I can impact way more people positively through immersive, scalable solutions. And if people like that, who, who feel that strongly about it, who are tied to it, who were once in healthcare, who are in healthcare, are trying to create a healthcare solution, that to me sounds like a recipe for a real problem solved by the community, for the community. 
so maybe that's what drives me. I love it. I love that. That's that's so good. And I mean, <clears throat> you know, for us, and I think for any of us who are in XR, you know, ARBR, <clears throat> there's so much promise and potential in the technology. We all see it, especially those who are in it. But it's been a slog. We've been in this yeah. since 2016, which feels like a lifetime. If I think, I mean, just a lifetime. And so I think it's so important that we do have, you know, conviction about the technology and we do have a strong why. And for us, you know, very similar to yours, just kind of our side of the equation and saying, wow, we get to work with dozens or hundreds of your patients in different industries. We get to work with Axon, mm -hmm. who has created police de-escalation training, helping prepare police officers for, you know, for dangerous situations, saving life. There's so many examples out there. And yeah, just that really resonates. I mean, I think for us, removing the friction to see this technology go, go to scale quickly and easily. We think a lot about that initial, the hand-holding part, right? That initial, you have, you have one shot at a first impression. Yeah. And leadership is, they're, they're naturally resistant <laughs> to new technology or change, no matter how great it is, right? And so whatever we can do to come in and make that initial experience. Um, so I love that. I love that. Uh, let, so let's, we'll just, we'll, we'll, we'll end with a, a light wrap here. Uh, sure. The Apple headset was just announced. <laughs> Apple Vision Pro. And so Making it waves. wouldn't be, yeah, it, it wouldn't be right if we didn't talk about it. So give us, Absolutely. give us your thoughts. How does it impact VR? How does it impact healthcare? I think it's going to be super impactful. I cannot wait for the face pewter to arrive. You <laughs> <laughs> oh, coined it here. Um, I'm super jazzed about it. Uh, not because I think that clinical educators are going to be using it. No, no, no. So <laughs> it's because today you do not see XR products in the wild. I yeah. mean, the HoloLens, eight years, right? I've, you've never seen one. That's uh, a great point. <laughs> right? You don't see them yeah. at a coffee shop. Uh, um, Oculus, 11 years ago with the Rift and then bought by Meta and then billions poured into it to make the most affordable solution. Never seen one in the wild. Right? <laughs> it's like some rich kid's living room. He's playing games. But you don't see them at a coffee shop. But what Apple's done, they flipped it. Right? They took a VR headset and made it AR first. Always on camera. You know how huge that is? Yeah. For two reasons. One, we know that the lens technology is coming in the next three or four years, and people are going to be prepared to see their applications in their living space on something more that looks like glasses. But two, why in the world would I take my MetaQuest headset to a coffee shop to work on anything, right? If I can't see, <laughs> someone's going to take my bag. <laughs> Right. No right. joke. Like, yeah. would you go into a coffee shop and blindfold yourself and drink some coffee? <laughs> no, not in a million years. And so the Vision Pro, you're going to start to see it in the wild. Not only is it a status symbol, but the computing power is crazy. And it, the way that it integrates with your laptop to, for productivity alone, and because you can see people and see things, and this just provides a level of safety. It provides a level of comfort and you know, because it's Apple, it also has a status symbol. When you start to see those in the wild, that is going to make it easier for your customers, AlberXR's customers, to pitch up the chain to leadership totally. that this is something that we should invest in because today they pitch something that they have never held, have never seen up the chain. And they go, so you're telling me that we need this, but I've never seen one. And why do we <laughs> need this? Make the use case. 
which is why I always recommend to people who are trying to sell up the chain at their institution or organization, you never sell the Zoom demo to the leadership. Get the Zoom demo done, and then you get that software provider to send you a headset. Or if you have one, get a free demo, download mm-hmm. it on the headset, and you get leadership immersed at their first impression. It's great advice. And that's the key. That is great advice. I love that take. And yeah, I mean, getting getting someone in the headset, we've said that for six or seven years, right? That's the only way to sell VR is to get in VR. And um even We've you see even, it with Apple, even Apple has a market. I mean, they say VR has a marketing problem in that it, it's not cool when you're, but Apple's probably come the closest to solving that. And I love your point, which I haven't actually heard. That's a great take that you are going to start seeing seeing them at coffee shops. And it's a combination of it's an Apple headset. People want to, you know, plus it has productivity software that actually works with your MacBook. But the dial is huge. And I haven't heard people yeah. talk about that enough because people make fun of it. But you're so right. If I'm in a coffee shop, I want to be able to see around me. I want to see my peripheral. I want to be able to see my hands to grab mm-hmm. the coffee cup. The Quest has the, you can double tap and go through the pass-through, but the you pass-through, look, you, yeah. you feel like you, you're in x-ray vision, like Superman or something. It's not mm-hmm. <laughs> a comfortable experience. So that's a really interesting, um, I can't wait till we start seeing them at coffee shops. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, the first one, I'm going to take a photo and it's going to be a, it's going to be a moment. It's a milestone. I'm seriously you know? It's a huge milestone. I'm seriously considering replacing my desktop setup. Really? Right now, I've got three wow. monitors in front of me, right? And they're big. They take up, occupy all this desktop space. Mm-hmm. And I have the immersive medical pod to edit by Friday because mm. we're going to launch it, right? <laughs> so um, I, I'm also traveling for a conference this week. So you know what I have to do is I have to get rough cut done on this desktop computer and then put that onto my laptop so I can polish during the week mm-hmm. because I'm not going to have access to this hard drive to all of that stuff. But if I had my MacBook with my face pewter, then I could be, <laughs> I, I could be on the airplane with three monitors yeah. and everything yeah. computing right there. And so when I'm at work at home, I can have different things on my desk. I can have more space for other mm-hmm. things. And so uh, that's just uh, that's something that's very interesting. Yes. I want to speak to something that you said, Brad, about you know, you've been in this for six, 2016 and it just feels like forever and it just feels like so much hand-holding. <laughs> I want to encourage y'all to stick this out because, and I know that you guys are going to, but the WHO has predicted a shortfall of 15 million healthcare workers by 2030. That's seven wow. years away. Wow. Which means that starting today, if we don't start training with clinical competency, mm-hmm. two million more nurses per year for the next seven years, that's just to come out even to meet the need. Oh. Oh. And uh, institutions are being charged for clinical time. Now, you want to go into the hospital? You got to charge your students to get in there now. Oh. And so uh, states, there are 32 states that signed into law being able to replace one third of your clinical time with an immersive solution. Really? So it's coming. Wow. And, and these people are going to need to know how to handle more than 10 headsets. No, I totally agree. I, it does feel like across multiple sectors, we're finally hitting the critical mass, but mm-hmm. we just needed to start going downhill, right? Like, we, okay. You push uh, the snowball over the hill. There is a promised <laughs> land. It's coming. Right. Uh, well, Devin, this has been awesome. Awesome. Um, where can people find you or your new podcast, Fear Pate? Like, where, where do you want to be found? Okay, sure. Um, so I, I'm on LinkedIn and Twitter and stuff like that, at Devin Marble. And, um, 
I'm just like the like a marble countertop in your kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you can go to vrpatients.com if you want to learn more about VR patients, or if you just want free educational authoritative content of in this space, kind of helping bridge this divide of healthcare and immersive. It's the Immersive Medical Podcast or the Immersive Medical YouTube channel. You just type in Immersive Medical wherever you get your pod or check it out on YouTube. Awesome. Love it. And I would actually recommend, you, you talked. we all talked about the best way to sell VR is to get someone in VR. I think the VR patient's content is great for anybody just to get in and see what's possible. And it's free, cool. right, for an individual. So That's I right. recommend that to anybody. We'll uh, make sure Devin, we add links to all that. In yeah, the we will, for sure. Thank you. Uh, appreciate your time, Devin. You're a busy man. You're uh, traveling and editing and everything else. So uh, great sitting down with you today, and we look forward to chatting again soon. Greatly appreciate it. Thanks Thank you for having me. Talk soon. Man, that was a uh, a great interview. That was that was a lot of fun. I think we should consider um, asking Devin to guest host our our pod occasionally. He did a great job. <laughs> he should just take um, over. He can run it. Yeah, yeah. I uh, having been in the content and and now hearing him kind of explain it um, to me, what what I guess what really strikes strikes me is they've taken a very complex process. You know, learning how to be a nurse or a, a physician, and, and I guess different procedures within that process. And they've simplified it down to enable instructors or students to really dial in on one use case and then be able to run through that over and over again. Uh, I think that's that's uh, very powerful. Yeah, we, I didn't share this on the pod, and I wish we'd gotten into it more. But after the fact, after after I went through and almost killed this patient multiple times, he sent me an email that had a video that he, where he was screen recording, and they have a back-end dashboard where... Uh, an instructor or proctor is able to go and see all the actions you've taken within the timeline. And you could walk through after the fact with uh, a student and kind of explain, okay, at this point, the patient presented with this symptom, you ran this test, this came back, and then you did this and you diverted off of the proper path. And that's why you had a negative outcome. So for me, I thought that was so interesting. Obviously I, I, I can't, I, I mean, I couldn't even begin to understand what, what I did wrong, but I can see uh, like you, like you said, the, the the variety of use cases that might come your way, the, the number of different types of patients that could present, and being able to, as a student, make these complex decisions and then get feedback from an actual instructor, it's pretty cool. It is very cool, and I definitely killed my patient, um, no doubt. I think it maybe it kept me from killing the patient by uh, not allowing certain actions, but um, it was a fun experience and obviously a very very powerful teaching tool. Uh, well, as always, we very much appreciate you taking time to uh, check out this pod. Make sure you like and subscribe wherever you consume your podcasts, and we will catch you next time. Thanks.